This is the Best Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to Best Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, Managing Editor of Best Insurance Professional Resources. We're pleased to have with us today attorneys Alan Russo and Marie Castronuovo from the law firm Russo & Gold in New York. Alan Russo has tried high exposure civil liability cases for more than 35 years. Since founding Russo & Gold in 1996, he has taken the firm from a civil litigation practice to a full service insurance defense law firm. He vigorously defends corporations and individuals, handling every aspect of litigation from deposition through trial, and has strategically grown Russo and Gold to include a high-level mediation practice. Alan is committed to providing high-quality work for his clients and protecting them and their interests. He currently handles complex, high-exposure trials and regularly advises major insurance carriers and self-insured entities on matters relating to tort liability, trial practice, insurance coverage, and litigation strategy. He has tried over 65 jury trial cases to verdict and has successfully argued many appeals. Alan has been selected to super lawyers as a top-rated personal injury attorney from 2010 to 2021. He is also a regular lecturer for the National Business Institute on Trial Advocacy and an instructor for the Corporation Council's Trial Advocacy Program at Fordham University Law School. Alan earned his JD from Villanova Law School and is admitted to practice in New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and the federal courts in New York and New Jersey. Marie Castro-Nuovo handles New York labor law and premises liability cases through all phases of litigation, including discovery, making and arguing discovery motions, and motions for summary judgment, negotiating and mediating settlements, trial, and appellate proceedings. She regularly defends insurance carriers and cleaning contractors in premises liability cases, and she has extensive experience in New York labor law defending corporations and contractors and construction site accident claims. Marie is a graduate of the National Institute of Trial Advocacy and is a member of the Claims and Litigation Management Alliance. Before joining Russo and Gold in 2007, she was in-house counsel at Atlantic Mutual for 18 years. Previously, she held a limited license to practice law in a legal clinic in Washington, in Washington State, where she served indigent and elderly clients and helped to lay the foundation for a mediation and arbitration center in Spokane. A graduate of Gonzaga University School of Law, Marie is admitted to practice in New York and in district in the U.S. District Courts for the Southern and Eastern, Eastern Districts of New York. Outside of practicing law, Marie is a freelance writer and has been published in New Jersey newspapers, Parent Guide magazine, and in several online publications. She served as president of a Women's Writers Collective in New Jersey for two years and regularly runs groups for writers. Alan and Marie, thank you both so much for joining us today. Thank, Thank you, John. You. It's nice to be here. Nice having you both. Today's podcast discussion is social inflation and its impact on liability insurers. And Marie, we're going to start our questioning with you today. Tell our audience, what is social inflation? Okay, John. Um, broadly defined, social inflation is an increase in a defendant and insurer's claim costs over and above general economic inflation. A more narrow definition and one that I think more thoroughly represents the true meaning of what social inflation is, is that it's the rise of settlement values and jury verdicts and the broadening of a defendant and an insurer's liability exposure as a result of factors outside the actual litigation. Now, these factors can include 
uh, an uh, aggressive plaintiff's bar that uh, shares techniques and information with each other. Um, They used uh, reptile tactics at trial. Uh, They used social media and technology and ad campaigns that portray defendant companies and insurers as the bad guys. Um, Then there's litigation funding, which is uh, unregulated across the country. Um, And there there recently has been legislative reforms that uh, have revived old claims and extended the statutes of limitations in some cases. Um, Social inflation is not a new phenomenon, John, though it's been around probably since the 1980s, where it negatively impacted corporations and insurers defending asbestos class actions. Um, And through the 1990s and 2000s, we've seen it right up till today with respect to medical malpractice cases and mass tort litigation against large pharma. Most recently, though, we see the impact that social inflation is having on the trucking industry. There have been huge jury verdicts in these cases, nuclear verdicts, if you will, John. These are defined as verdicts in excess of $10 million. Um, My research uh, into this issue revealed that the American Transportation Research Institute compared data for 600 cases between 2006 and 2019. And they found that from 2006 through 2011, Uh, there were 26 cases which resulted in awards over $1 million. But in the five-year period from 2014 through 2019, there were nearly 300 cases where the verdict succeeded $1 million. Since then, it's only gotten worse. In early 2020, a motorcycle rider injured in an accident was awarded $441 million by a Florida jury. And both the defense bar and the insurers need to study this issue on a greater level and determine how to combat it. They've got to start by understanding how the plaintiff's bar uses social inflation to influence juries and increase these awards. So, Alan, let's turn it over to you now. How is social inflation used by the plaintiff's bar to increase verdicts and settlements? Uh, From using human empathy and emotion to motivate people to award their clients large sums of money. And they do this through relentless advertising, planting stories in the news, and generally desensitizing the general public to the concept of awarding extraordinarily high awards you know, uh, at jury trials. And you know it is most evident in in the storytelling that goes on in litigation. You know when you finally get to to the you know to the trial of a case. You know if if the defendant is not prepared for it, the plaintiff's bar will sort of strike all the themes that they're hearing every day on television bad corporations, deep pocket insurance companies, unsympathetic tortfeasors, all in an effort to drive, you know, emotionally jurors to to hand out large jury awards. And, you know, it has been very successful. You know, I have found over the last five years an extraordinary increase in not only the verdicts 
that we've seen, but also the verdicts drive the settlements as a result of these kind of emotional techniques and advertising campaigns by plaintiff's attorneys. You know, it used to be years back when the uh, McDonald's coffee case was a big story that the plaintiff's attorneys during voir dire would constantly bring up the McDonald's case in an effort to try to diffuse the jury from thinking that all plaintiff's cases are overblown and, and uh, exaggerated and try to diffuse the issue during jury selection. The roles have completely reversed. In fact, I find when I pick a jury now on cases, the most important thing I need to do is expose what's going on to the jurors and sort of like take it away from the plaintiff's attorneys. Because when you're exposed constantly to advertising with lawyers intoning, you know, you may be entitled to money damages and that our law firm has got millions and millions of dollars to, uh, you know, deserving plaintiffs, you know, people begin to hear those numbers and they assume everyone gets that kind of money. There's also the, um, probably the greatest example of how advertising is driving this, are the commercials in the New York metro area by Salino and Barnes. You know, I used to call it the Salino and Barnes effect. They have all these professional actors who would actually, you know, who would say, um, I was offered $20,000 by the insurance company. I went to Salino and Barnes and they got me a hundred times what the insurance company offered me. I got $2 million for my motorcycle accident. And then you look at the person, he looks like he's in great shape. There's no, no issues with him, no physical disability. And the, the, the message to people is that everybody gets lots of money. You don't really need to be hurt to get lots of money. That's a subliminal message. And it also, you know, the discussion of insurance companies. You know, it used to be verboten to discuss insurance as having any effect or, or anything to do with uh, liability lawsuits when you get to the courtroom. But on television, you could talk about insurance companies and how much money they have and how much money they're giving out. So jurors now are completely desensitized. They don't think anything of giving someone two to $5 million because they're constantly bombarded with those kinds of numbers. Marie, has this had an impact in increasing damage awards and liability exposure? It has, John. Yes, very much so. As Alan says, <clears throat> it has increased jury awards across the country. And it's uh, not only that, it's increased plaintiff's expectations. So it's made it more difficult even to settle a case even before you get to a trial. Because the plaintiffs are thinking, well, you know, uh, I'm going to get more money from a jury because the plaintiff's attorney has sold it to them that way. You know, and, and there's a caveat in there for the plaintiff's attorneys, too. You know, I've had plenty of attorneys, plaintiff's attorneys who eventually do try to settle the cases and they realize either they don't have they don't have a case worth the value that they that they tried to sell it for 
Um, but now they've got a client who believes what they told them. Uh, so they've got to be careful with the client they sell this bad corporate idea to and this, you know, idea that their their case is valued so high because some clients at, at, at the point where you've got to settle, they're not controllable. So then you end up trying a case with questionable liability when you might have been able to settle it for a good value and you can't settle it because you've oversold the idea to your client. You know, there are carriers that will go uh, only so far and then they'll dig their heels in and try the case. Although some carriers are more risk tolerant than others and they will try the case. I think a lot of plaintiff's attorneys bargain on the fact that a lot of carriers like to control the numbers so that they will eventually settle. But more and more, that's not the case with with these kinds of large uh, settlement demands. So uh, social inflation has also increased the risk exposure to insurers. Um, and that's driving up the cost of, of the insurance premiums it, because premiums have to make sense in light of the risk they're covering. So if a nuclear verdict is a concern in the industry that's being insured, then the premium is going to have to reflect that. Um, social inflation and nuclear verdicts and settlements uh, of, that, of that ilk um, have driven insurers from certain marketplaces also. So if there's less uh, insurance companies in the marketplace, uh, then there's less competition. And that hurts those individuals who are going to buy insurance because the competition is less, there's less people to buy from, and there's, and, and then the premiums are going to be higher because we all know that competition is what, what keeps the numbers down. Um, so, but, but I think in my mind, John, the most important thing is it's given birth to this uh, whole idea of litigation funding. Litigation funding is a very big problem. Um, it's makes, it makes it very hard to resolve cases for any kind of reasonable number. Many, many of these funding companies are backed by private equity and hedge funds. And these people, these, these investors see litigation that way as an investment. So they're willing to, to put their money in it uh, for several years in the hopes that it's, it's going to, to uh, resolve, resolve for, bigger, for bigger payout for them. The money, the money is given anonymously. There's no due diligence done with respect to whether or not the case has any value. It's easily obtainable with no questions asked. Um, and as long as there's insurance coverage available, these funds will loan money to plaintiffs at exorbitant rates. So a plaintiff who, who may be borrowing a small amount of money in two years' time, uh, they're paying exorbitant rates back. And they're, they're all shocked to hear that, that wait, I only borrowed 10000 How do I now owe you $100,000? Um, and, and at this point, there's no regulations uh, across the country. There's no regulation of these funding companies. So defendants and insurers being required to disclose the full amount of coverage available, including the existence of any excess coverage, it puts them at a great disadvantage when a funding company who knows the kitty is large loans a, a, a sum of money to a plaintiff with a minor injury or a case with questionable liability. Um, but even if the, if the amount that, that's loaned is not so large, it, it turns out large because the exorbitant interest rates over that period of time, over the life of that litigation, um, it, it just it just becomes uh, unmanageable. Um, but at the end of the day, it's got to be paid. So frequently, you'll I mean, I've, I've already had that experience several times with a case that I'd, I we had settled, we thought we had it settled. And then the plaintiff's attorney goes back to his client and finds out that there's a funding lien. And, and the client thought that he only owed $10,000 back, but no, now he owes $80,000 back. And that's going to eat up too much of his cost. And he doesn't want to settle. And, and those are just with, with, with minor value cases, but with the larger value cases and people taking out money to pay for medical expenses and and lost income, um, it, it really makes it very difficult. 
Um, social inflation also has caused a sort of, as Alan said, it caused a, a sort of normalization of the, of the very large numbers that we're hearing with these nuclear verdicts. Jurors are seeing these numbers in the newspapers, on, in the internet, professional athletes who make, you know, $400 million to play a game for three years. So they're getting very desensitized to these numbers and the numbers, they don't have value anymore. It's like monopoly money. So when these, when they end up having to, to decide a case, they, they end up giving larger numbers because plaintiff's attorneys have told them this is what's, what it's worth. This is the value. And look at my poor client and look at these evil, evil corporations. And so they feel like, well, they're not hurting anybody and they're helping this poor little guy that's been injured. So when the numbers come in that high, a lot of times judges will reduce the awards. But when you're starting at, you know, 80 million, <laughs> they can't reduce them down to what they're what the case is really worth. So you're still ending up in the stratosphere. So, Alan, how can liability insurers and their attorneys combat all these tactics? Well, first of all, close cooperation from the outset of a case is critical. Uh, the partnership between the defense attorney and insurance carrier has to start at the beginning. Uh, there needs to be an identification early on in the litigation. Is this a potentially dangerous case? Uh, and if it is, then it's incumbent upon the defense attorney and the insurance carrier to develop a strategy to combat it, which includes, first of all, very early on establishing a rapport and relationship with your client. If it's a big corporation, a big landowner, an insurance company, or, or some other large entity, you can rest assured that the plaintiff attorney will try to play good guy versus bad guy. So you got to make your guy the good guy. You know, every company is not just in business to make money. It also employs a lot of people and produces a lot of wealth and produces a good life for, for many people. And uh, you have to start early on in the litigation developing those themes with your client. If your client employs a lot of people, you know, identify who the best witnesses might be at depositions and, you know, start preparing the defense that the people who are, you know, who may be held responsible, it's not a big corporation. It's these people who you're going to meet at the trial who's, who are responsible for, let's say, maintaining the, uh, the lobby of a building or um, you know, shoveling the snow and ice. It's, it, it's the little guy, actually, who's being called into account. The big guy's gonna survive. It's he or she that you're blaming. Make your client sympathetic. And then also identify, if it is a bad case and you got bad players on your side, look for an off-ramp as soon as possible, because that's a dangerous case. You also want it where, where uh, the plaintiff's credibility is a serious issue. You got to go after it and you got to have the goods on them. Because if you can puncture, you know, the sympathetic you know, patina of a plaintiff by exposing that he or she is a bit of a phony or a fraud in certain respects, that really uh, lets a lot of the air out of the balloon when the plaintiff's attorney sums up. Uh, looking for a large award. You know, lastly, you know, I can go on and on and on. This is a very interesting topic. But, you know, understanding that we have some time limitations here, I would just say that all the insurance companies need to uh, 
Um, sometimes they don't like to hear the spend a little more money defending the cases. Because if you come up with good ammunition on a plaintiff's attorney and you spend the time working with your clients in establishing a consistent theme that makes your client sympathetic, it'll pay off in millions and millions of dollars in savings. Marie, you've been through some crazy times. What effect, if any, will a pandemic have on social inflation and its impact on damage awards? Well, look, John, people people have lost their jobs. They've lost family members and friends to this virus. Um, some of them, unfortunately, because of issues uh, being in nursing homes or hospitals, um, some at entertainment venues, grocery stores, but you name it, people are open to blaming any corporate defendant they can for a loved one's catching this virus. Then there's that group of people who think that the vaccine is an attempt by the government and big pharma to control them or that there's some kind of evil conspiracy underfoot. There's anger everywhere over this virus, and it's translating into a greater mistrust of corporate defendants and their insurers, which, by the way, is a great environment for uh, the use of reptile tactics by the plaintiff's bar. But we also are seeing uh, claimants with cash flow problems, um, again, seeking out litigation funding to hold them over until they can settle or resolve their claims. Uh, and given the slowdown at the courthouses, these cases may not get to trial in quite a long time. And at the excessively high rates uh, being charged by the funding companies, as I said earlier, these plaintiffs are going to be pursuing settlements that are well over the actual case value, uh, given the injuries sustained or the liability picture that may appear defensible to an insurer. You know, on the other hand, we've got unemployed claimants and claimants with medical expenses who may be, who may be more inclined to, to quicker or earlier settlements. Um, then there's the issue that's been caused, of, and, and I expect that it will be even more of a problem in the near future, by the extension of the statutes of limitations in New York, uh, especially in New York. I don't know if it's uh, across the country, but in New York, the governor told the statute of limitations during the COVID, um, which ultimately adds several more months to the life of, of some new claims. So plaintiffs who, who had claims that were expiring during the COVID now have extra time to file their claims. So at this point, with the court system starting to get back to normal and some courts opening for business and trials beginning in some jurisdictions, it's likely that the rush to the uh, to the clerk's office to file those new claims is not far behind. So in 2022 and 2023, we're likely to see a lot of cases brought by plaintiffs who have been through the COVID, maybe lost their jobs, maybe lost some family members, some friends. Um, so there's going to be a general sense of, you know, someone owes me something. There's going to be anger out there, not only among the plaintiffs, but among the jurors, too. Um, and they're going to blame big corporations. They're going to blame the defendants if the plaintiff's bar has their way. So the scene is ripe for nuclear verdicts. Ultimately, I think this is going to lead to insurers having to address losses they didn't anticipate in the premiums charged. Alan Marie, it is a very interesting topic. So, Alan, you have the final word for today. What does the future hold for the liability, property, and casualty insurance industry in light of the impact? Well, look, I think in the short term, you're definitely going to see an increase in overall exposure on claims. The, um, it's going to be much more difficult to settle cases for the amounts reserved because the plaintiff's attorneys keep on pushing up uh, the numbers, you know, through, through the, you know, getting nuclear verdicts, it emboldens them and forces the number up. 
So it's going to be more difficult to settle cases. And that's also going to result in, in higher costs because uh, the cycle time of cases is going to increase. Your insurance defense costs are going to increase. Um, it may have the effect of driving certain carriers out of certain venues if this gets really bad in certain areas, which will shrink the number of liability insurers. That's the short-term prognosis. I think the longer term is really, it may reach such a crisis point that maybe a call to action will be taken seriously in the state legislatures around, you know, around the country. I think um, it may motivate insurance companies who years ago put a lot of money into lobbying and advertising uh, to try to expose, you know, the abuse of, uh, of, uh, of uh, the trial lawyers and increasing, you know, trying to put caps on verdicts. That has all but disappeared. So it may revive that move. I, I anticipate as well um, counter-advertising something that, you know, uh, insurance companies really haven't spent any money on that, trying to attack using psychologists the same way the plaintiff's bar uses psychologists to attack the problems of social inflation by lowering the expectations of people across the board and lowering the what's expected of jurors in the minds of jurors when awarding money damages. Um, that's how I see things right now. It'll be difficult to tell, you know, it's always impossible to predict the future. And we are in very unsettled times right now. It's gonna take a while to see how this all shakes out. Agreed, Alan and Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, John. Thank you, John. It was a pleasure. You've just listened to Alan Russo and Marie Castro-Nuovo from the law firm of Russo & Gold in New York, and special thanks to today's producer, Frank Bowinkle. And thank you all for joining us for Best Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, go to our webpage, www.ambest.com slash professional resources. If you have any suggestions for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, and now this message. Best Insurance Professional Resources features valuable insurance industry content, including searchable profiles of client-recommended insurance attorneys, adjusters, and expert service providers. Brought to you by AM Best, known worldwide as a respected source of insurance industry news and information. Visit ambest.com slash claims resource.